Welcome, welcome, welcome to St. Stephen's Church in Burke, Virginia. My name is Rob Robertson, and on behalf of the entire worship team, I welcome you to, on this Sunday, August the 1st, to worship. Whether you are joining us via the live stream or catching us as part of an archived service, or you are here in person, thank you for being part of worship at St. Stephen's. If you're a guest, we especially want to welcome you and are so grateful for the gift of your presence. And we encourage you to get connected to the life and the ministry of St. Uh, Stephen's. Please use your gifts and your graces to serve the Lord in the world here at St. Stephen's. Today is Communion Sunday. The pyramids on the altar have changed to white. And we will have not only communion in person here in the sanctuary, but there is also drive-through communion from 12 noon to 12.30 in the parking lot. Those that are on live stream, we hope you will uh, stop by this afternoon for uh, receiving the elements of bread and wine and the grace that God gives us in this amazing holy meal. We continue to relaunch ministry at St. Stephen's and we will be expanding, or we are hoping to expand, Grace Ministries. That next happens on uh, Saturday, August the 28th. But we need your help. Which, if you are interested in serving outdoors uh, with Grace Ministries as we expand the offering beyond just uh, food, uh, we, we encourage you to connect with the Connect card or call the church office. We're very interested in talking with you. If you're on the live stream, would you please now pass the peace of Christ with one another? The peace of Christ be with you. And I invite Susan Fofi to come now for our call to worship and our opening prayer. Please stand as you are able and join me in the call to worship. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come this morning in the hope we find in you. It is a hope that has and will sustain us in our trying times, our lonely times, our doubting times. Refresh and renew us this morning with the living water of your glorious presence. Open us to new life and new possibilities as we encounter you in surprising and unexpected ways. Amen. Okay, please join us in the opening song, My Hope is Built.
You may be seated. Pastor Gian is on vacation today, children, and I am so blessed to be able to share the children's message with children of God of all ages. For the last two weeks, Pastor Forrest last week, and then I will share this, this uh, verse in my message today as well. We have talked about Romans chapter 3, verse 23. That verse starts, all fall short of the glory of God. What does it mean that all fall short of the glory of God? Well, it means that we've all done things that we're not supposed to. The, the Bible has a word for that. It's called sin, S-I-N. It means missing the target, as if you were shooting a, a bow and arrow and, and you missed the target. That is what we've done, all done something that we're not supposed to. We've told maybe a lie. Maybe we've been unkind or we've been angry in ways that we shouldn't. We've all done something that falls short of the glory of God. So when that happens, what are we supposed to do? Well, you know what? We need to tell somebody. Who should we tell? Yes, we tell Jesus. We tell Jesus, and we tell Jesus that we're sorry and that we need his help to start again and to do better the next time. In fact, we can turn S-I-N, sin, into say it now. Say it now. Say it now and ask Jesus for help. Go to God and ask Jesus to help us not miss the mark anymore. Let's put our hands together and let's do an echo prayer. You all know what that's all about. I will, I will say uh, a part of the prayer and you repeat after me. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your love and your grace and knowing that we can come to Jesus when we fall short we can tell him and he can help us start again in Jesus name we pray Amen. As we prepare this morning for the giving of our morning tithes and offerings, we are so grateful for the ways that you are supporting the life and the ministry of St. Stephen's. Yes, through your prayers and your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. All of those ways allows us to be the kind of body of Christ that God is calling us to be. As we prepare to give, of our gifts. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for ways that you have blessed us, so many ways. And Lord, we are grateful for this opportunity to use them to honor you and to help your church, all the people of your church, to be the body of Jesus in this world. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
by the sound of his voice seas that are shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken for my regard through it all through it all my eyes are on you through it all
Thank you, Source Band. Thank you so very much. It is well with our soul. And that is certainly a part of what our lesson will talk to us about today. And as we turn our sight and our hearts to Jesus, let us pray together, seeking God's illuminating grace. Guide us, O God, by your word and your Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in knowing and doing your will discover your peace through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading comes from Paul's letter to the Romans in the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, Rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The story goes that a dad was given the responsibility for caring for his young child one day while his wife, the child's mother, was sent out to do some errands, hoping to keep the child occupied for as long as possible. The father gave the child a puzzle, a puzzle made from a map of the world that had been torn up into tiny, tiny pieces and spread out all across the floor. But within minutes, the child had completed the puzzle. The father was dumbfounded. How did the child put the puzzle together so very quickly? When asked, the child replied that on the back of the map of the world was the figure of a human being. The child said, if you get the human right, then you will get the world right. There's truth on so many levels, 
to the child's words. If you get the human right, you will get the world right. Our lesson today begins a section, chapters 5 through 8, of Paul's letter to the church in Rome that has been called the most important section of this letter, if not all of Paul's writings in the New Testament. The original context and the purpose of Paul's letter to the Romans has been and continues to be debated. Some argue that the letter was written to a community of predominantly Jewish Christians who were struggling with what it meant to include Gentiles in their numbers. But others argue the exact opposite, claiming that Paul's main concern was to explain to the church in Rome a, a group of prominently Gentile Christians what was God's plan for the Jewish people. Whatever the makeup of the church, Paul is not writing to them as their founder but as one seeking to establish a, a new base of operation. After Ephesus, for the expansion of his mission westward to Spain. This relationship, though, was never fully actualized as Paul was martyred before he ever began that new mission. Nevertheless, the letter offers important insight into how some of Paul's central beliefs and his understanding of how it is that God has acted for the salvation of the world in the life and in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Preceding our reading today, Paul is concerned with justification both our need for justification and how we are justified or made right with God. Justification is the door to our salvation. It's the entrance into a new order and a new community of connection and relationship between humanity and Almighty God. The way that Paul sets forth being justified is not by way of obedience to the law. Earlier in his letter, Paul tells us that all fall short of the glory of God. Thus, our justification or being made right with God can never be earned, even though we often try. It only can be received as gift, as grace from God. It's a gift given by faith in Jesus Christ. John Wesley, one of the principal founders of the Methodist movement, used the image of a house to describe the movements of God's grace. I invite you this morning, wherever you are, to, to think of your own house or your apartment and imagine, if you would, that you are standing on the porch or right outside the front door. Are you there? Imagining that you are right outside the door. The first movement of grace from our Wesleyan perspective is prevenient 
grace. Because God so loved the world, God moved to reconcile the world to God. And even before we are aware of it, God is working and moving in our lives, loving us and wooing us into relationship. In John Wesley's metaphor, he compared provenient grace to being in the yard or on the porch or right outside the front door. When we realize that God has been wooing us, God's provenient grace, we are standing at the door and we are being invited into the house and by the grace of God, we have been empowered, yes, empowered to open the door and to accept the gift that God has given us, this gift of new life that God wants us to have in Jesus Christ. We are justified when we receive that gift through faith. And we can even experience the assurance that our sins are forgiven and we are children of God. Now, once we're in the house, there are lots of rooms for us to inhabit. As we are sanctified, that third movement of God's grace, Christ's righteousness is made ever more real in our lives. And yes, we even become more and more like Jesus. Be assured that God doesn't want us to just stand just inside the door, but God wants us to inhabit the whole house and to know and experience the fullness of the life and the love that God has for each of us, for the whole world, as we are being molded and shaped to be more like Jesus. Sanctifying grace is that, yes, third movement that continues for the rest of our lives. In our lesson today, Paul moves into an extended consideration of the spiritual life, this new life that is received by those who have received a new standing through Jesus Christ. Like the story of the child who put together that puzzle of the map of the world, if we correctly understand who Jesus is and what he has done and what he is doing for us, then we through faith may be molded and we may be shaped more and more into the image of Christ. Verses 1 and 2 in our lesson are a great transition in Paul's letter. They reiterate, reiterate Paul's conviction that justification by faith is key. It's key to our our redeemed relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Yet, these verses also foreshadow Paul's dual affirmation of God's unmerited grace and an individual's response to it. The most ancient copies of this text are surprisingly translated into English this way. Let us have peace with God through Jesus Christ. 
It's a phrasing that implies that we may choose to enjoy this peace or not. The imperative let us suggest that even though we receive justification, we are still holding tightly to the controls of our individual response. More modern translations like our NRSV that we read today tend to translate verse 1 with an eye towards Paul's broader assertions about justification by grace. And they read instead, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not let us, but we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The emphasis on our miraculous new relationship with the divine continues in verse 2. It's an accomplished fact. It's been accomplished by Jesus Christ. Paul is moving on to the implication and the consequences of our justification. He states that it's only through Jesus Christ that we have peace with God. Jesus is the reason that we have gained access to the grace that we so desperately need. Gloriously, peace with God means not only an end to hostility, but to a positive condition of a kind of creative harmony with God and both an inner security and even serenity. But this peace with God is not something for us to achieve. Rather, it flows inevitably through faith in God's work through Jesus Christ. And when Paul writes about access, what Paul implies is this idea of a a social introduction. A social introduction, but especially a social introduction with royalty. Now, who is this royalty? Of course, it is Jesus. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, has made possible our introduction to to God's divine grace and moves us and covers us in its presence so that we may stand, stand in that grace. From this new experience of close proximity and a greater connectedness to God, we may even hope to share in the glory of God. That is, to experience the divine radiance or the brightness of God in our own lives, yours and mine. And such a conviction is made only possible by grace. And in a typical Pauline word, he says it's worth boasting about. We boast might also be translated we rejoice, or we glory, or we triumph. Boasting describes the new status we receive through faith in Jesus Christ. It's both exaltation and a new hope. We have no grounds for boasting because of who we are or what we have done. But as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I have something 
that we can boast about and exalt about. We can boast and exalt about what God has done for us in Jesus, God's gift for each of us, but yes, also for the world. When we receive it, it should bring a, a confident joy, that is, our hope of sharing in the glory of God. This word translated boast expresses the mood of anticipation that's found in Romans 8, beginning at verse 37. Paul writes there, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's a confidence and access to this grace that should be visibly demonstrated in each of our lives. As Paul writes, beginning in verse 3, and not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. It's easy for us to assert that hope is a grounds for boasting. But it's quite something different to affirm that we can boast because of hardship. Bodily suffering is not usually something that we would boast about, is it? And Paul does not mean that we should rejoice when we are surrounded by affliction. But being justified in Christ is a prelude to a life of steady progress and of spiritual understanding and moral development. And it occurs as we stand, as we stand in Jesus and as we boast in our hope of sharing in the glory of God. Our justification should result or bring forth certain attitudes and and actions and habits and yes fruit it may surprise us that paul's very first interrelated list of virtues is what it's sufferings like our hope suffering is something though we may boast about but let's be clear paul is not touting suffering as a virtue in of itself suffering is not worthy of a a positive boastful interpretation like when our hope it it anticipates in the glory of god only only when we anticipate can we boast as with all the other characteristics that paul will mention this kind of suffering points towards the redemptive act of jesus and his presence in our lives and the presence of grace upon grace for all of us. You see, there can never be such a thing as noble suffering 
in the Christian list of virtues, only humble suffering, experienced in the realization of Christ's own suffering for us. In this way, our suffering itself can itself produce a, a second positive attribute, endurance. Again, we must be careful about how we think of endurance. A misinterpretation of this characteristic would suggest a kind of passive victimization or, or of waiting, waiting on the part of the believer. But Paul has no such attitude in mind. Endurance produced through suffering for Christ's sake is active. It's a positive response. It stands with Jesus, and it stands in Jesus. Paul's understanding of Christian endurance might be better recognized by the word courage, by courage, as we actively live faithfully for Jesus despite all the challenges that that may entail. But before we begin to think that we are wholly responsible for creating and maintaining this quality of virtuous character, remember again that the ability to suffer and the ability to endure is still a divine gift. It's dependent upon God's grace. We can't build up our own Christian character through good works or even better intentions. It's possible only because of God working through grace in us. When we open ourselves to a more complete understanding of our dependence on God's gift of grace, we discover in Paul's words hope. Hope that does not disappoint us. Once again, Paul, in our lesson, has returned to this first personal quality that he cited, hope. Paul joins all these virtues like the links of a beautiful circular chain. And as we have already seen in verse 2, Paul instructs that our hope is shared in the glory of God. And now Paul links this hope to the ongoing vitality of God's love poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. As the Spirit continually is poured out, its waters nurtures our soul reviving us again and again with a sustaining hope within our lives so that we can sing like Sonia did. It is well, it is well with my soul. But all of this is possible only because we have been rescued by God who loves us. And Paul tells us in verse 8, that it was while we still were sinners that Christ died for us. Unlike the death of a heroic individual on behalf of a righteous person, Jesus' death occurs at an unexpected time on behalf of ungodly people. 
who do not deserve it. Our lesson today begins and ends with boasting. Boasting in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And then boasting in God. Because you see, God has rescued us and reconciled us through Jesus Christ and allows us to know the hope and the certainty of sharing in the life of Jesus. What a great gift you and I have been given. The gift of, of grace, the gift of Jesus, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Church, it's time. It's time to boast, to boast to the world and to live in the love and in the grace of God. Amen. As we prepare to go to the Lord's table, our celebration of Holy Communion is a celebration of love and grace. God's unconditional love and grace upon grace, provenient, justifying, sanctifying, that God continues to pour into our lives. And through this meal, our, our God comes to us once again to give us, to nourish us on his grace that we might stand in God's grace and live out the new life that we have been given in Jesus Christ. We practice what we call an open table in the United Methodist Church. And that means that all are invited to come and to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion. This is Christ's table you do not have to be a member of the United Methodist Church or St. Stephen's Church or any church. Come, and we will receive the elements. The elements are, are, should already be in your pew, and as I shared earlier during announcements, we will have drive-through communion for those that are watching on the live stream today. Hear this invitation to the Lord's table. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God in one another using the prayer of confession found on your order of worship and the screen. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear these words of assurance and pardon. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love towards us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven.
to God. Amen. On the night in which Jesus gave himself up for, for us and for the world, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and he gave thanks to his father and he gave it to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. As often as you gather, drink this in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Loving God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us gathered here and upon these gifts of bread and wine. Lord, may they be for us your body and your blood, that we might be for the world your body redeemed by your blood. Lord, make us one with you and one with each other and one in ministry to all the world until you come again and we feast at your heavenly banquet. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. I invite you to join with me in praying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you to find the cups that are in your pews at this time and take the bread, the wafer, and receive, as you take down your masks, of course, and receive the body of Christ. And now peel off the side with the juice and receive the blood of Christ given for you for the forgiveness of sin. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for nourishing us on your grace, for feeding us on this holy meal. Lord, continue through your grace, sanctifying grace, to draw us closer and closer to Jesus. 
Lord, continue to make us more and more like him. It is his, in his name we pray. Amen. I invite you at this time to, say, to stand as we sing our closing song, I Am Not the Same. Because of Jesus Christ, we are not the same anymore. We are called to a new life in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're called to boast, to boast in what God has done for us and for the world. So now go, go church, go to boast. Go by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Go in the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit now and for evermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.